The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. We are in our third week of our series called Two Words. If you've been with us the last two weekends, you know those two words to be what? Law and gospel. Well done. Law and gospel. We're going to re-emphasize that, reiterate that uh, week after week as we go through the study of Galatians. Now, God uses different words in the scriptures to talk about law and gospel. He, he uses words like uh, slave and free, righteous and unrighteous. He w- uses words like justified and covenant and promise and works. He uses these words. And here's what I want you to dwell on for just a minute. Okay? Are you with me? Starting to wrap. Get, get, here we go. Okay? Dwell on this. God has interacted with his people from the very beginning of time using law and gospel. From the very beginning, when he created Adam and Eve, he put them where? In the Garden of Eden, and he gave them, he gave them two trees. Two trees. The tree of life. And the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Two trees to represent his law and his gospel. And Adam and Eve were commanded by God. It says in Genesis chapter 2, God commanded. That's a law statement, isn't it? God commanded. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I mean, that's a serious consequence, isn't it? Death for breaking law? Adam must have been thinking, what's death? But God gives us this tree so that it would test Adam and Eve's obedience. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever gotten mad? Have you ever gotten mad at at Adam and Eve and saying, why did you do that? You know, look at the circumstances I'm in now. I know I have. But then the minute I, I, I think about that, put yourself in their shoes. Were they wearing any shoes anyway? <laughs> well, put yourselves in their place and think about if you were the only ones on this earth created by God with total free will and Satan comes to tempt you to be like God, would you have done the same thing? I'm guessing you would because I probably would too because even now, We fail to obey God's commands, don't we? They failed that. If you think about these trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, this tree of the, uh, is, is one is the law, and this tree of life is the gospel. The gospel promised the good news, even though they were banished from the Garden of Eden, right? That was actually a good thing, because if they stayed in the Garden Eden from the tree of life, they would be eating and living forever in their sin. But God said, no, you're going to be kicked out of this garden and you're going to die. That's a law statement. But I'm giving you a gospel promise. The first promise in the the scripture that's good news is from Genesis 3.15. I'm going to be sending you a savior, a Messiah that's going to what? Crush the head of Satan. That he's going to be victorious over God's law, fulfill it on our behalf buy us back, redeem us from sin and from death and the devil, so that in the future, in the age to come, in a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to be eating from that tree of life without any sin. 
That's the promise. God talks to us this way in law and gospel. If you think about it, he gives Abraham a covenant, a law-gospel agreement, a covenant that says, hey, Abraham, obey this for you and generations to come, and remember, I'm giving you a promise. I'm still going to send a Savior. I choose you. That's gospel good news. But then I'm going to send a Savior. Believe that by faith, and I'm going to credit it to you as righteousness. And he says it in the New Testament. Jesus' own words, after he is suffering for our sins, after he dies, after he's crucified, after he rises again from the dead, before he ascends to heaven, he says to his followers, I want you to do this. Preach repentance. That's law. Preach repentance. Help people understand that they are sinner and saint at the same time. See, God gives us two words because we are two things. Sinner and and saint. The sinner part of us needs to understand that God's law convicts us, that it condemns us. And the saint in us is relieved to hear the good news saying, yes, I don't deserve this, but Jesus, you are my Savior. Praise God that he operates in these ways for us. He's done that in the past. He continues to do that even now. So we're here today listening for, our ears attuned to law and gospel proclamation and reading from the scriptures. I've broken up the, the Galatians chapter 2 text into two sections. First section I want you to go to Galatians chapter 2. Open up your Bibles please to page 1811. We're continuing where Pastor RJ left off. Uh, we're not reading word for word the book of Galatians. We're, we're skipping a couple things uh, that we'll maybe give some summary to but we're focusing on law gospel uh, in the two words of the book of Galatians. And, and in my Bible, I think it says, I got clarification from the 915 guys, that in your Bibles that we provide for you, on, like ahead, uh, above chapter 2 of Galatians, it says, Paul accepted by apostles. That's what you have there? I mean, why, why does, that's not what, you know, the Greek New Testament has. That's just something that man wrote there as a summary. Paul, what did he do to Christians? Persecuted them, allowed them to be killed, allowed them to be put in chains, allowed them to be suffering, right? Now he's accepted by who? The likes of Peter and James and the pillars. Look at verse 9. The pillars of the church of Jerusalem extended the right hand of fellowship to them. I mean, this is a big deal. This is Peter and James Christians saying to Paul, you're my friend. In love, I believe that you know who Jesus is. They're friends, but then what happens right in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11? Look at this. Read with me. I'll read it. You, you listen. When, when Peter came to Antioch, these are Paul's words now, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. It's a great way to start a friendship, isn't it? Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate, um, separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Remember, Pastor RJ said that these Pharisees, they were recovering Pharisees. They lapsed back into law. It's no, not any different than me either or any of you. And that's why we try to speak words of law and gospel to each one of us every day. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. 
so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? I'm going to stop there because I want to give a little background to this confrontation. This happened in Antioch. And you remember in, in the book of Acts that, that Christian people were first called Christians in, in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 verse 26 says that they were first called Christian. A Christian means you belong to God. You belong to God. I want you to open up your Bibles, please. Acts chapter 15. It's going to give a background to what has happened here and why St. Paul is writing in Acts um, chapter 15 to the Galatians. Acts 15, I'll start in verse 1. Okay. Don't hear too many pages flipping anymore, so I'm going to start reading from verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So it's Peter now, remember, right? Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by, by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. I want you to skip to verse 19. Verse 19, now this is the, uh, the Apostle James that's talking. It's my judgment, he says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And so they say, they agree that they're going to write a letter and they're going to send it along with Paul and Barnabas with some people from Jerusalem. Verse 23. Yes, verse 23, the letter says, The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. 
You're to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together, delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. See, the prophets of their day, the prophets of our day, are sent to encourage. I want you to go back if you want to Galatians chapter 2. This is the background. This is why Paul's confronting Peter. He's trying to say, wait a minute. You're contradicting the truth of the gospel, the essence of the gospel. Why are you requiring them to be circumcised? What are you saying? Why are you going back and forth? Go back to Galatians 2, and I have uh, on the screen just to um, just follow along. That way you can write notes on your message outline if you want. But I want you to notice something first, that from the very beginning of the Christian church, we are sinners and saints. From the very beginning, confrontations and sin against one another happens. It happened right here in the Galatian church. The Christian church is really not some pure, harmonious, blissful place. Some of you know that very well from some of the church experiences you've had in other churches. Maybe others you think, wait a minute. We're supposed to be perfect. There can't be any sin. I mean, that shouldn't exist in a church. Well, in one sense, we are perfect, right? Because the blood of Jesus covers over our sin. Praise God for Beth. But, there, but there's also differences. Differences of opinions, poor judgments that are made, poor choices that are made in all Christian churches that span all denominations. And in the very beginning of the Christian church, we have history right here, record of that kind of conflict and confrontation that happened. And if it happened in the beginning of the Christian church, guess what? It's going to happen to the very end of the church on earth that there will be conflict and confrontation. Why? Because we're sinners and saints at the same time. Paul is used here to confront Peter. Peter, this disciple, the, one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus. And if Peter, one of the closest to Jesus, needed to be confronted by his sin, we can realize that every person, every person, no matter if you're a church leader, a pastor, a member of the church, every person is susceptible to falling into sin given the right circumstances. That we are, as a Christian church, not immune to that struggle. And yet God is faithful. He promises to deal with us with words of law and gospel. Law and gospel. We need it because we're sinners and saints. Now, when Paul makes this confrontation uh, uh, with Peter, he's saying to Peter, you know what? By your actions, what you're doing is, 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 is demonstrating, by, by you pulling back and not eating with these Gentiles, they're going to be looked upon as second-class Christians. And by what he did, he's saying, kind of forming a group that's saying, no, a separatist group, right? An elitist group. you got to do it this way to be really good, to be really saved. But Paul had to do something. He had to confront Peter. He said, wait a minute. Remember we shook hands? <laughs> you know, we're friends, right? And now he's coming to him kind of in modern terms saying, dude, you're being a hypocrite. You're acting like you believe in something. You say it, but now you're acting and doing something different. What is going on? And I want you to notice something. Peter, or Paul is saying to Peter, you're being a hypocrite. It's hypocrisy 
It's not apostasy. Do you understand? Hypocrisy is, you know what, you know what is supposed to be done. You believe that, but you're acting differently. Apostasy is you're teaching false doctrine. That's not what's happening. I mean, it would be really bad news if it was something different, right? But no, Peter and Paul agree that it is by, you know, grace through faith in Jesus alone that we have eternity and in heaven. But now, in living out that Christian faith, you're acting like works are necessary too. Don't get me wrong, right? Works happen naturally, but not over and above beyond to be saved. Not at all. And so Paul is used in these circumstances to show Peter that because of your high position, watch out. People are watching what you're doing. In all these things, there's a great cultural shift that's happening. Really is, and something that I don't think we can understand to the, to the degree of what the Jewish people and Gentile people were living in that day. I mean, God's saying to the Jewish people, separate yourselves from the Gentiles. Be circumcised. Eat all these foods. Do all these things. And now, you're changing it up, God? What's happening here? Now, we're, to, we're going to believe that Gentiles and Jews are the same? I mean, can you imagine how that was different? I mean, I just think of, of my life and the prejudice that I've experienced in our country, and you go back in the 60s or whatever else. I mean, you have to admit that we all have prejudice in us, that we treat people differently, don't we? Based on the color of their skin, their gender, their disability, whatever it is, their ethnicity. And we have to acknowledge that before God and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But all these things that they're experiencing now really is just a foreshadowing. A foreshadowing of, of what was to come in Jesus. Jesus is the reality. And here's what Jesus has done. I want you to look on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. For he, Jesus, himself is our peace. Who has made the two one. Who has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law. With its commandments and regulations. You see... It was difficult for Jews to live that out. To not think of themselves as being distinct and exclusive. That God chose me. Sometimes it's hard for us too, right? God chose us. Well, what about that person? How do we act towards them? Paul was used by God to point out to Peter, this is what you're doing. It's a reminder to me. And I hope it's a reminder to you for all Christians to acknowledge that any one of us is capable of making wrong judgments, of making wrong decisions, of, of sinning and falling short of God's standard, and that we need God's law and gospel every day. Don't we? Martin Luther said it this way. I love uh, how he described uh, this incident. It's one of the biggest confrontations of Scripture that we have. He writes, Those men meaning those ones who influenced Peter and even led Barnabas astray. Those men look at Peter's high prestige. They admire his social position forget, and, and forget the majesty of this doctrine. It's the doctrine of justification that we're going to read in the next section. Paul does the opposite. Paul treated Peter with due respect, but because he sees that the prestige of Peter is endangering the majesty of the doctrine of justification, he ignores the prestige in order to keep this doctrine pure. And undefiled. You see, as Christians, the first and foremost overarching commitment is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because we are Christians, we belong to Christ. We have to confront others then. 
that are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel and be prepared to receive the consequences for that and even go it alone if necessary. Has this ever happened in your life? Have you ever had to confront somebody of hypocrisy? Maybe that person was you. Maybe you've been confronted and saying, hey, dude, you're not acting like what the Bible says. How many of you have left a church when they weren't speaking the truth and weren't in line of the gospel, right? We've had experiences in our lives that we have to part ways sometimes. Our obedience must be to God. First and foremost, Paul's a great example that he pointed this out to Peter right away before this problem became any bigger in our church, in the Christian church, right from the very beginning of time. Galatians chapter 2 talks about that, but now we're going to read the second section, and here's what I want you to do. I want us to kind of be trained in reading the Bible with lenses of law and gospel. And so I've tried to do that for you by colors. So you can either look at it in your scripture or you can look at it on the screen. Before we go there, though, I want you to remind you, if you want to go to the bookstore, we have some great commentaries on this book of Galatians that talks about this law gospel mindset. Not only do we have that resource there, but there's also resources for the summer Bible studies that we're in. So please stop by the bookstore uh, after the service. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It's on the screen or read with me. Uh, Read along with me in your Bibles. We who are Jews, those are the Jews that are Christians now. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified. Now, justified, very simple term, right? Uh, Not, it's not. Justification, that's a Christianese kind of language term. Justified means just as if I've never sinned. Justified, just as if I've never sinned, meeting all the requirements of law, being declared righteous. Now Paul's saying, you're not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith. This faith is a gospel gift. It's a gift from Jesus to believe in his grace and his mercy that God gives to us. Undeserved grace to us. That's what faith is. Is We're justified by faith, not in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by him and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Why? Why will no one be justified by the law? Because the Bible clearly says in so many places, there's not one, not even one who does what is right and never sins. We all fall short of the glory of God, so we're not going to be justified by observing the law. Verse 17, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If, we, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Here's what I find in my life. When I try so hard to, to obey God's commands or, or try to do what God has told me not to do, right? What I find in my life is I'm a mess. I sh- I struggle. Who's going to save me from this body of sin? Who? Jesus alone, the righteous one. I'm a law breaker. And so verse 19 says, for through the law I died to the law. See, breaking the law means you sin, and sin brings death. Are you going to die one day? Am I going to die one day? So what does that make me? a lawbreaker, a sinner, because if I'm going to die, that means I've sinned, and that brings not good news for me. But 
That's the law. The gospel is what just happened to these two little ones on their baptism day. When the word of God was connected to the promise of God and was given to them by faith. That faith is in their hearts. They have been blessed to be declared righteous before a holy God even though they're still sinners. God says, I don't see your sin. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to me. So we trust and we hang on to that promise of the gospel. I've been justified. I've been sanctified. I've been washed. All these good things. Why? So that I might, I die to the law, so that I might live for God. Praise God. Praise God. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear the gospel in these words? I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You see, here's the struggle. The Galatian Christians did it, and the Christians of today, we do it. We struggle to say, I'm going to observe the law more because I want God, I want God's approval. All throughout Galatians, we're going to see that in the future, that that's the struggle, that's the dynamic. It's law and gospel that we, uh, that God operates with us. Law to convict us. Gospel to give us comfort and peace. Every one of us who are sinner and saint. Galatians 2.20 is some of your favorite, I don't know if it's one of your favorite verses. I'm going to read it again. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is a beautiful verse that describes a lady in our church that has served here in our midst for 38 years. Arlene Cole. She has served in ministry for 47 years, and I got here 10 years ago. Uh, it was just a joy for me to, to see how she served this place. And I want you to hear from her words going into your ears right now. In 1978, I played an old electronic organ in the first church, and we were worshiping out of the Lutheran hymnal and using the traditional order of worship. We decided to gradually um, insert some other songs in parts of the worship, because sometimes playing the liturgy, I found myself not even thinking about what we were singing. Well, at that time, the congregation was growing and the people were sitting out in the hallway. In November of 1979, uh, the larger sanctuary was built to seat 600 people since we are outgrowing the first church. And this enabled many people to get involved in playing various instruments, such as their flute, guitar, or whatever they were gifted in another way just for them to serve the Lord. Again, church attendance began to grow and we found people sitting out in the hallways of the uh, sanctuary or the chapel. And so the new, this new worship center was built in 1997 to accommodate the people. Technology came in and Arlene had to adapt to more change. And so God was stretching my rubber band 
Cancer was detected in my body in 2005 and it was a hard change for me. I found myself on the couch at home, reading God's word, spending more time with him in prayer. He was deepening my relationship with him and also with other people who were coming to my to my aid and as I needed them to maybe make a meal for me or take me to a doctor's appointment. But God was just really strengthening me and using people to help me out in that situation. But knowing myself too well, I decided, the doctor said I could work full-time, but I decided to work part-time. And Faith decided that I would direct the senior adult ministry and play for weddings and funerals. The senior adult ministry had many different names before I took it over. They were meeting in room 10, 11, and 12, and then we outgrew that room and moved into the gym, and then the seniors would invite their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, and the senior adult ministry just grew. About 270 seniors honored me on May 4th with a refirement celebration. And by the term refirement, I mean, I am not gonna sit back after I retire. I intend to volunteer here to use my life as God leads me to use my life. A great opportunity was to pray with these people, to listen to what's going on into their lives, and to encourage them to, in, to grow deeper into an intimate relationship with their Creator and their Savior. I've enjoyed investing my time with you, God's people here at Faith Lutheran Church, and just watching you outreach to different people as I came in contact with you. And being able to pray with you and to study God's word with you, listen to God's voice through his word, encourage each other through the difficulties that come through our lives. As God leads Faith Lutheran Church continually, I pray that the rich heritage started back here in 1965 is remembered and shared with the upcoming generations. My favorite hymn, My Tribute, says, How can I say thanks for the things you, meaning the Lord, have done for me? things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. I can't express my gratitude adequately. I owe it all to you, Lord. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood, Jesus saved me. With his power, Jesus has raised me. I ask our Holy Spirit to empower you to share his love and care for everyone he puts in your path along your life journey. With God, all things are possible. Jesus loves you, and so do I. <laughs>